Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at WolfSpiritRadio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The psyche is created long before you start to think at the blink. It's your decision what you do. No clue for the food fighters. Alrighty, and you are live. Thank you, Colleen. Colleen is our producer, Colleen Kelly, and I'm Nancy Hopkins. This is the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. <clears throat> it is uh, December 15th, 2015. We have Walt Silver, the co-host of the show, on with me. And how are you doing tonight? Hello there. Thank you for being here. Everything's sure good? And we have James B- Bartley. Why, why, all of a sudden I spaced on it. Hi, James. I'm sorry. James. <laughs> Hi, Nancy. Hi, Walt. How are you doing? Hi, James. You know, James, for a moment there, I thought, uh, Nancy was going to go Star Trek Next Generation. Remember uh-huh. that character? His, his uh, name was Barkley and they would call him Broccoli. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. I only saw a couple of episodes, actually. I try to I try to watch them whenever they show up nowadays because I think there's interesting themes in them, but oh, I wasn't yeah. into it. I wasn't into it when it was first out. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the uh, the first episode. My sister was a fanatic about it, and I thought, oh my, this is ridiculous. <laughs> a lot <laughs> I knew turned out to be something special. Um, yeah. Okay, now James is going to. Uh, we're just going to talk with James. Um, I virtually only know him through uh, two shows that he did with Laura Cross on the ODD on Sunday, and I think you were on with JP once, weren't you, James? Yes, I, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. So he's familiar to some of you, and um, Walt. We well, we know Walt. Colleen, you doing all right tonight? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good. Um, what I want to do for a couple of minutes here is to tell you a little story because you know how I love to tell stories. Um, on Friday, I was talking to um, Jean Rockefeller, and she said to me, Jack's here. And Jack is, uh, James, you probably don't know these people, but my listeners normally do. Um, and Jack is uh, Jack the Watcher. He's part of a sentient uh, group who are in animal form and they are our companions and our protectors and have been here for a very long time, probably since the beginning. And in my opinion, they were created, um, by Gaia. I don't know their source, but I, I, I give credit to Gaia for everything and that they were here to protect us, to keep our, our hearts working. Because, I mean, there's nothing like having a, a dog or a cat or a horse or a rabbit or a rat in some cases uh, to make you alive in your heart. And I think that that was what they were initially put here to do, just keep our hearts alive so that we could transition through time and experience to get to the point we are. Now, last week I told you that the djinn were after me to do something about the Pacific and the Japanese radiation. 
And I honestly tried a number of attempts, and, and I couldn't seem to get focused. I couldn't seem to, to get there. And I kept, you know, periodically trying. And um, so then I'm having this conversation with Gene, and Gene says, Jack's here. And he says there's something about a, a diamond activation. And I said, a diamond, and of course, I immediately went to the diamond figure that we have as our refrigerator magnets with a shungite in them. And I'm saying, you know, is it that? And she said, no, no, like a cut diamond. And I said, oh. And so she starts talking to me, and I honestly, I think I was paying attention, but I'm not sure because it never got really into my conscious mind at that time. It sort of went to the back. So that night when I'm I'm laying down and I'm kind of like re-going re through the day, what did I miss doing? And all of a sudden I went, oh, wow, the diamond activation thing. And then I'm trying to remember what she said, and then I realized that to be able to experience this thing, I should be not laying down horizontal, but vertical. And um, I didn't want to get up out of bed, so I asked Jack, I said, Jack, what am I supposed to be doing here? And uh, he's an etheric being who will answer to anybody that is a pure heart, and... Um, so as soon as as soon as I asked the question, I suddenly found my myself etherically outside in the Merkaba, which is a uh, sacred location that's been set up for about thirty years. And in front of me is the reality cube. And those that have been listening to me know the reality cube is an energetic device that Walt developed with guidance to uh, anchor in the new reality that we're building that we built. And all of a sudden, I see this diamond, this beautiful diamond, just kind of like coming out of the ethers, just right above the cube and then surrounding the cube. And now, remember, I'm seeing this etherically, but I'm also physically 3D back in the bed. And all of a sudden, I'm back in bed, and now I'm at the ocean in the Pacific where the gin are and the area that is so dead. Um, and I'm seeing the these two diamonds come down into this area, and they just kept going deeper and deeper, and myself and the djinn went with me. We just followed it down until it was about midway in this area of incredible nothingness. And um, boom, then I'm back. I guess I'm back in my body because I'm. next thing I know, I'm waking up. So... I didn't give it too much thought. I, you know, it was like, okay, it seems like something is happening. And every time I tried to etherically look at it, I could see. But as I got there, I would start to, my mind would start to like it wants to fall asleep. And that's the jamming thing. Um, it's not jamming from bad guys. It's jamming from the good guys. They just want me to stay away from it for, for a while. So I knew what it was doing was basically cooking. I, you know, it's, I think like that. It's cooking. And... um so then today I wake up and I'm going like, diamond, diamond, what has happened with this diamond thing? And so now I look at it again and now I'm perceiving that something very, very powerful is occurring in that area, but I couldn't get to the diamonds. I never saw the diamonds. I just, it was a sense of energy. So I'm talking to Stephanie Dietz and I said, yeah, I got to tell you a story. So I tell her the story and she starts getting all, wow, yeah, you, you know, crazy on me. And I said, what? And she said, well, she said, I, I was at yoga uh, yesterday, and I looked at the, the there was some kind of an energy thing happening with the hand of the yoga teacher, and I looked at it, and I realized it was a diamond ring. And she said, I have never thought that diamonds were, were powerful energies at all. And I said, no, hell, I agree with you. They're, it's the only mineral I ever met that felt almost dead to me. It just never had any energy. And... Um, 
she said, well, this thing was, was blasting energy and she's, it's, it's and sparkling. And, uh, she said, but then Lucia and you people that were with us a couple of months ago or a couple of shows ago, um, she's the hairdresser, uh, Lucia. And she, she was in, she is in the Bahamas at a, a, one of those destination weddings. And for some reason, <laughs> she started sending Stephanie pictures of the diamonds that people were wearing as necklaces, as rings, and all of a sudden Stephanie's getting all these diamond things, and then I come on today and say, well, there was this diamond activation. And what happened, in my opinion, is that I've always wondered, why would why would something that was not that rare, diamonds are not that rare, why would they be so uh, esteemed and everybody wants them? And on top of that, why is it mostly women that, that get them? You know, what is it about this thing? Over the years, I've pondered the question, you know, minutely. Well, what I think happened is that the all it wasn't an activation of some kind of a diamond grid within Gaia herself, within Earth. It was the activation of all of these diamonds that are out there, all these cut diamonds. And... So when I realized it, I started scanning, and yeah, all over the globe, I could see all these diamonds starting to glitter, 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 glitter. So what we have as of, you know, this date, at least, at least December 2015, is, well, let's see, it's the 15th of the 15th, so, um, is an activation of diamonds. And it's not raw diamonds, it's the cut diamond. It's very specifically, it is the cut diamond. And so any of you that have diamonds, look at them. If you see them sparkling, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't see them sparkling, well, maybe you got a blood diamond. I don't know. <laughs> but um, take a look at them. Take out your old diamonds that you might have put away for no good reason, except that they weren't attracting you, and see what you see. And work with them. You don't have to wear them, but, you know, honor them, because apparently they've come alive, and what I'm feeling from them is intense, pure powerful source energy that's just there and available um so i just wanted to pass that on to everybody and um okay now walt you went you and i went over to james's um well the the website you gave me james i could access it but walt could not so he went on a hunt and got another one that's up in the chat right now oh did i put it in the yeah i put it in the chat and um Walt, do you have any questions that you want to ask uh, James, or should we just ask James to give us a background of what he would like to share with us? Well, why don't uh, let's James follow his inner feeling? What does he feel inclined to speak of? You know, to give some kind of background on himself, or if there is another subject that he feels should be addressed, which is more to whatever may be happening today. You know, he's the guest. Yeah, I like it when we put it on our guests. So, James, you're up to bat. What would you like to discuss? Thank you. Uh, first off, my website, it's been down this morning for some reason. Uh, it was fine yesterday, but I went on there earlier, and I tried a few times to get onto it, and it's not working, and I just tried to pull it up a moment ago, and it's still not working. So hopefully it will come back sometime soon. <clears throat> I don't know what the reason behind it is, but. But yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention, uh, as far as uh, topical subjects were concerned and how they relate to the bigger picture, is what we're seeing with these 
desperate efforts by the, the controllers on this planet with all these false flag hoax shootings and the, uh, the police state crackdown and, and the saber rattling and, and all this stuff, it's as far as like leading up to a larger war, <clears throat> it, it seems to me to, to smack of desperation because the powers that be know that we are undergoing a, a radical, epic frequency shift. Uh, there are energies streaming in from the galactic core, uh, highly intensified cosmic rays and gamma rays, which are altering us for the better, I do believe, at least some of us. And the, the Schumann resonance has increased, and even normally stable particles are exhibiting rapid decay. So that means people like us, basically, to use a Star Trek term, a, a carbon-based unit, we're becoming more energetic. We're, we're becoming lighter, if you will, and, and hence in the overall scheme of things, more powerful, and we'll be shortly returning to our our original quantum multidimensional selves. So it seems to me that all these these stunts that the, the negative forces are doing is an effort to stave off that or or slow down that process. But I don't believe they will be successful this time. Uh, they may have had some success in the past when we are in alignment with the galactic core, but I, I just feel that this time uh, we have a lot more help. Uh, a, there's a lot of ground crew on the planet, yourselves included, who are anchoring a higher frequency and are in touch with higher dimensional extended East ET star families, if you will, who are providing a lot of help and, and guidance at this time. So I really don't believe they'll be able to maintain this this simulation matrix paradigm much longer and, and everything that we see them doing is an act of desperation and a lot of their stunts are backfiring on them big time so I, I, I see that as a positive development I do believe that we're in, uh, in the midst of ongoing earth changes that these things were prophesied and th these earth changes do run cyclically that Every so often, uh, 12,000, 11,000 years thereabouts, we go through a, a period of, of not just planetary Earth changes, but solar system-wide Earth changes. And, and I see it as the birth pangs of, 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 a, of a new Earth, where the, the Earth is shrugging off all this toxicity and pollution and rage and hatred and, and cleansing herself, essentially. So it, it's something that the planet has to go through, and, and we are part of that process because we're anchoring higher frequencies and it, imbuing it into the existing grid, which needs to be cleansed, which needs to be detoxified. And I, I'm one of those people that do believe that the ancients in their wisdom had pre-installed a, new, a newer grid, grid system, if you will, which will be or is in the process of being activated to help in this transition pro process. So I just wanted to throw that out at the beginning, that although things may seem like they're getting darker and, and dense, and we do go through periods of, of, of waves of dense energy, and we see how it affects a lot of people that are <clears throat> unprepared for it, I, I do see uh, a lot of good things coming down the, the road, but... It may get maybe a bumpy ride to get to our destination. I totally agree with the uh, with the concept. Um, I don't know that it has to be bumpy. 
Yeah. You know, I really think that um, the more see Walt and I working with with Gaia, um, and I, I used to work exclusively with basically ETs and archangels. I was the latecomer to the concept of the, you know, feminine consciousness that is all that is around here. <laughs> and since connecting with her, all I've seen is magic because the definition of magic is the manipulation of energy. And she has taught us through the use of shungite and through energy devices and orgon and uh, the fact that she was able to orchestrate the getting together of a group of us, and I'm talking about our listeners as well, um, that really saw our mission as being part and parcel to the um, being subservient to the needs of Gaia. And we discussed last week that, in my opinion, a, a super consciousness like Gaia would be locked into the prime directive from Star Trek that... Um, you can't mess with somebody's civilization. And that includes her own creations, humanity. And that the witnessing, Walt and I were realizing that we were doing because we were going off on, on different journeys and, and doing different work, um, assignments. Walt calls them assignments. And we were doing this, and we knew we were witnessing it, that Gaia's power was what was behind it, but that she needed... You know, human thought, like the quantum physicists are telling us, you can't have manifestation without thought. So what we got to was the fact that we're we're going out and we're doing these things and we're witnessing, but neither of us will do anything without Gaia's permission. And Gaia doesn't need us except to witness it because we have to be there as representatives from humanity saying, we need your help. Would you please, prime directive, disregard, we're asking for help. Help us. Um, so, to me, the possibility of going through a bumpy stage is not required. Um, except if, you know, reality is what people think it is, and if, if we put a lot of energy into that, then that's what's going to manifest. So, we basically try to stay away from analyzing and getting involved in what we call the old reality. Because, yes, we understand all these things are happening, but the more we put energy into them, the more energy they have. And that's the sense of desperation, is that their world is falling apart. Their reality, their ability to control us is falling apart. And there's this new reality that's that's emerging, you know, right beside their old one. And the more of us that allow ourselves to to extend our energetic bodies and to become healed because we're energetically aware because we're trying to balance because we understand the power of thought the more that we get into that the less power they have on that side and it continually in the last few months i keep getting that phrase into my head this is the way the earth the world ends not with a bang but a whimper which i never understood when i first started hearing it you know so, um, but you, you've, you've had a very interesting life in that you have, like I had, you, you prior military, James? No, I was, <clears throat> I, I grew up in a military family, but I, I worked as a civilian for U.S. Naval Air Forces. I, I was never active duty military. I was a, a GS, a civil servant, basically. 
So you knew all the secrets. <laughs> uh, some of them, uh, and it's amazing the kinds of info that's that's available even at an unclassified level. If if one knows what to look for and, and what it, how it fits into the larger picture, it's a lot of this stuff is is right out in the open. And uh, but just you know, people are just basically ignorant or oblivious uh, as to what's going on. They don't realize you know they're they're a cog in the machine. In the military, and and there are agendas playing out, which is completely over their head because they don't take the time to to delve into these issues. So, yeah, one does not need to have a very high security clearance to access information that, if one understands the background to it, can be quite eye-opening. So, yeah, I, I, you know, being in communications, I was in a in a key nodal point in, in the military intelligence community, and I did know quite a lot. Plus, I was always a student of history and a student of military history, so I knew a lot about black ops. I knew a lot about covert operations, the way intelligence, counterintelligence worked to begin with. So, you know, it, it, just having access to certain types of information, it just gave me a broader picture and filled in some blanks. But it was, still, sur- it was still surface level stuff. I mean, nothing like UFOs because that's all completely compartmentalized, even in, in naval, naval air forces especially. Now let me ask you: When you when you went into the became a civilian in the military organization, did you have an awakening? I mean, were you already awake? Did you know you were going in to essentially spy on them, or did you go in as a patriot that suddenly started looking around and going like, "Oh my, this is not good." I, I already knew about the at least the surface level corruption and and the surface level systemic rot, basically. And I also knew about the UFO cover-up because I'd had a number of ET encounters and UFO sightings uh, running the gamut from psychic, telepathic to full-on physical encounters. So I already knew that that was going on. Uh, there was a part of me, I think it was some kind of perhaps karmic issue because I've had a lot of past lives as a military person that I just felt compelled for whatever reason to, to get involved uh, with with the military. And the irony is I, I sent out all these applications all over the place. I would just think of all these spooky places where deep black UFO research was going on, like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base or China Lake Naval Weapons Center. None of them uh, were interested in me, but uh, where I was living at the time in San Diego, the local air base was interested, so that's where I wound up, so... It's funny how those things work. Yeah, and uh, yeah, when I do get the information as far as my website coming back up again, I'll, I'll send it out again. If anyone has it out there that can, you know, paste it onto this chat room, I'd really appreciate it because they may have accessed it through a different means. They did. It's in the chat room, and they are able to get to it. Oh, good, good. Did anyone want to comment on that, or I, I could talk a bit about more some of my experiences and what what led me to? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been asking you questions, but it won't you won't hear me if my mute's on. Um, yes, please. I, I, I one of the things that I find fascinating is how people end up awakening. And you came from a military family. Now, did your was was it? I mean, your dad stayed in it. I mean, assuming it's your dad, your dad stayed in the military for the twenty years or so. Yeah, he retired, uh, and, and then he he stayed in civil service. So 
he was, you know, a career military guy. And as such, we were brought up with all the typical military Republican brainwashing, right? I'm a recovering Republican, by the way. And, and uh, so we were taught and told the same cliches over and over and over again. You know, the Republicans are for a strong defense and, you know, they're for a strong America and all this stuff. And we used to watch the Army-Navy football game. And I was a Dallas Cowboy fan before being a Dallas Cowboy fan was in vogue. I mean, all, all those flag-waving things. But what it's ironic that, that it was the ETs that actually helped me to have this greater awakening because I didn't realize just how corrupt the system was until I started delving into the uh, the deep black aspects, not just of UFOs, but also of, of, of state-sponsored drug trafficking and, and whatnot. Uh, and then further along the, the pike, you get into even darker issues and and I remember I went to one of my first big UFO conferences in the, in the early 1990s. And I was out in the exhibit hall where they had a bunch of tables set up with all these books on them. And I've always been a bookworm. And so naturally I gravitated to where all these books were. And I stood alongside this exhibit and I looked down onto the table and then I see a book that says The Shadows of Power, uh, The Council on Foreign Relations. And I, in the back of my mind, I'd heard the term council or the, the, uh, the name council on foreign relations from somewhere, but I just didn't remember where. And so I, I picked up the book and started thumbing through it, and then a light bulb came on uh, because it described how members of both the Republicans and Democrats were members of the Council on Foreign Relations set up by David Rockefeller, and the whole purpose behind it was to be the philosophical kind of sword, if you will, to to promote a, a one-world uh, totalitarian government. And so w when I came across that book, and I realized that it didn't matter what party someone was in, most of the uh, these underlings w were part of the Council on For Foreign Relations anyway, that's when the light bulb came on. That's when I realized, well, this explains why nothing ever changes. In fact, everything seems to be going in reverse, because they're all part of this cabal, this clique, uh, that is, is hell-bent on world domination. It doesn't matter what party they're at. So I have the aliens to thank for that because it was this full waking consciousness abduction experience I had in, in I think, 1990, September 1990. Now, I had a whole lifetime of UFO and ET experiences, but I never put it really put it together until I had these blatant experiences in 1990 when I'd come back from Germany. I spent the summer in Germany. And that set me off on my quest. And, and I'd already read many UFO and alien uh, encounters books by that point. I was already familiar with some of the famous encounter cases, Travis Walton and, and Charles Hickson, the Pascagoula abduction with Calvin Parker, Barty and Betty Hill, et cetera, et cetera. There was always an element of the, of the subject matter which kind of put me ill at ease, uh, for lack of a better term. There was something about it that kind of gave me the creeps. Uh, I didn't realize till you know why and until I started having the, the blatant, fully conscious experiences. But would you like to would you like to share those with us? Well, the very first experience that I'm aware of was we were living in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, at the time, and my dad. This is like around sixty-eight, sixty-seven. I can't remember. I was just about four years old. And uh, it was the autumn because 
it was either the autumn or the winter because uh, Navy enlisted personnel wear black uniforms uh, when they're not in their fatigue detail dungarees kind of outfits. They either will wear black uh, if it's the autumn or the winter or white if it's uh, the spring or the summer. So it had to be sometime in the autumn or the winter. And my mom was ironing my dad's uniform in the living room. And I was... I was playing in my bedroom with my toys. I remember it it all came back to me in stunning clarity after I'd had what I thought was a failed hypnotic regression. I'll get to that. And I was in there playing by myself, and I could even see the dust motes hanging in the air through the the sunlight that was coming in through the uh, Venetian blinds. It was dusk. it It was getting late in the day. And I was just in there doing my own thing. Next thing I know... I notice there's this little being that's floating in my bedroom. It's, it was a very diminutive being, about, oh, looking back now, about two and a half, three feet tall. It wasn't gray. It was more brownish. had a round head, round eyes, a little kind of line or a slip for a mouth. If one has ever come across the book by Katerina Wilson called uh, Alien Jigsaw 2, A Researcher's Supplement, she has a sketch drawing in there of what she describes as a, a type 3 gray. Uh, that was, it looked quite similar to this being I'm describing now, except the being that I saw wasn't gray, it was more brownish. And when I saw it, I was not startled at all. Uh, it began talking to me, telling me I had some kind of destiny to fulfill in the future, and, and told me a bunch of other things, but I was kind of in, in territorial mode for a four going on a five-year-old. All I could think of was, these are my toys, this is my bedroom, you don't belong here, right? I wasn't scared at all, and I told this being to leave, because I didn't want it around my stuff. And then I I, I threatened to go tell my mom, who was out ironing in the living room, uh, if it didn't go away. And then I distinctly remember the entity said to me, go ahead and tell her she won't see me anyway. And that was a telepathic message, clear as a bell. So I went out into the living room, and I tried to convince my mom to come into the bedroom with me to to see and to see off this little being that wouldn't leave. Of course, my mom didn't believe me. And so basically, I I literally grabbed her by the elbow and keel-hauled her into my bedroom, and I just stepped in there with my mom in tow, and I said, look, see? And of course, the being was gone. And my mom storms off in a huff. And then I closed the door behind me, and no sooner did I close the door than the entity re-manifested with an expression on his face of, of almost like I told you so. And it went on to tell me, you know, some more things about uh, what my future would hold. I can't remember it all, but it did say something. I had a destiny to fulfill, some kind of destiny, some kind of work to do. I've since come to find out that many others have been told the same thing by ETs of one stripe or another. And uh, after a little while, the the entity just dematerialized, just disappeared. And now, as, for, as that as that little boy, what did you did you have any op- any concept of what this was? You just assumed it was something that was natural. I just assumed that it was just some kind of being. Uh, after your toys. Yes, that that was in my bedroom that didn't belong there, and. I'm, I'm of Filipino descent, so my parents, being from the old country, 
it was not unusual to hear the elders, if you will, talk about spirits, talk about the supernatural, and so on and so forth. And I'd had, well, subsequent to that, especially subsequent to that experience, I, I'd had a whole lifetime of psychic paranormal events to the point where I thought at one point I was being haunted. Uh, but really it was just the phenomena manifesting itself around me in one form or another. So, uh, yeah, I was just being a territorial kid that, you know, was being selfish with my toys. It, it didn't occur to me that this was a non-human being that was beside the point. So uh, the being disappeared, and then for a long time after that, clear into the second grade, and by then we'd moved to, uh, my dad was stationed, he went from, it was either Naval Air Station Corpus Christi, right there in the Gulf of Mexico, or he was also posted at Naval, now Naval Air Facility Kingsville which is nearby. So he'd been posted at one or he'd been posted at both uh, uh, state air stations at one point or another during our time in, in, in Texas. And then after that period, we were, he was transferred to Naval Air Station Alameda because the carriers at the time were docked there. There were three, uh, two or three aircraft carriers. And uh, so we were living in Daly City, which is a suburb of San Francisco right next door, and eventually, come around 73, 74, we, we moved 50 miles south to San Jose, where I had a lot of ET experiences. Uh, even back then, San Jose was somewhat of a dark, uh, lower-density kind of, kind of place. And not surprising at all, the Silicon Valley would, would develop there, the Google and Yahoo and, and all the spook agencies, the NSA, the NRO, and, and Lockheed Missiles in Space, et cetera, et cetera. So... Till about the age, uh, till I was about the second grade. By then, we were in Daly City. I was telling everyone who had ears about this experience. And then, and I've since come to find out, this is not unusual for abductees or people that have contact experiences. For some reason, it it mysteriously was wiped from my conscious memory, and I forgot all about it. A seminal event in my life, some that I told people about again and again, adults or or children, didn't matter to me. And then suddenly it was just swiped from my conscious memory. It didn't come back till the early 1990s. By then I'd moved to San Diego and became a member in good standing of the San Diego UFO Society. We did a lot of hardcore research all across the board. A lot of the members there had uh, experiences running the gamut from positive ET encounters to, to more negative ET encounters and all points in between, including military encounters. And uh, my friend... Uh, who was the founder of the San Diego UFO Society, did a regression on me. And nothing new came up. I didn't remember anything uh, that I had not remembered prior to the regression. Uh, some points or, or some details were maybe fine-tuned a little bit. I remembered a little more of them, but, but nothing spectacular. So I thought basically it was a failed regression. And about three days later, I was reading uh, the book, I uh, was in the process of completing the book, Project Omega, UFOs, NDEs, and the Mind at Large, written by Dr. Kenneth Ring. And at the end of that book is a quest questionnaire to determine if someone has had ET experiences. And roundabout question number 17 or 18 thereabouts, there was a question which w went something to the effect of, as a young child, did you ever see... Uh, little beings that no one else could see, or words to that effect. And the moment I read that question, that whole experience I described to you just manifested like a zip file opening up in my brain in, in full 
Technicolor and, and all the details, the whole nine yards. I do believe what happened was that what I consider I had considered to be a failed regression somehow kind of shook up, jarred loose some things in my subconscious. And when I read that qu- question, it just kind of like unfolded in my conscious memory, and, and, and now I remember it clear as day. So that that was my earliest remembered experience, and I've had. I'm one of those people that have psychical experiences. Some have experiences that are more or less frequent, like almost on a weekly basis. I, I cannot imagine what that's like. Uh, but I'm one of those types that the phenomena would cycle back every few years uh, in one form or another. And so uh, I went through a, a spate of experiences in 88, in, in 90, in the, the mid-90s, early 2000s. And that's how it's always been with me. Walt, have you got any questions you'd like to ask James? Yep. And and it's good because uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's an abductee and someone who has gone through this type of experience because then uh, he's more qualified to answer this question. And, and I hope that he's amassed a great deal of information. My question to James is, uh, if we zoom out so that we can take a view of this whole plateau of all of this activity that's happening on the planet, all this ET activity, uh, the different layers of humanity that's, that are being affected by it. Um, my question is, okay, so you, you have all these ET factions and groups and civilizations and they don't all share the same agenda uh, so what is their 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 prime purpose for being here at this time is it like looking out of a Mexican cockfight where you have all these guys putting money on two poor creatures that are fighting each other to the death or, or is that is that what we are is that we're like a some bacteria <laughs> experiment and they want to see which bacteria wins. What is, what is it? Because if you zoom in, you know, it's just this one isolated thing and this person had this experience. But if we zoom out and we put it all together, it has to form a tapestry of some sort and a sense of what is, what is it all about? So can you do that for us? Or can you? Well, that, that's years. a very good question. That's a very good question, Walt. I do believe that, that we are galactic humans, and, and whether we're galactic humans 4.0, 5.0, 6.0, whatever the case may be, uh, I, I believe that civilizations on the surface had flourished many times in the past, but due to the psychical nature of, of these uh, sometimes planet-wide global cataclysms, a lot of the civilizations which had the means to, to leave... Uh, either left in ships or left through stargates or went underground or went to another dimension, whatever the case may be. And then the survivors that came out of the tunnel systems or or who hid out uh, along the highest mountain peaks, there would have been a smaller number of them post these celestially driven cataclysms and these these archontic service-to-self type beings, like the reptilians in particular, would have had ample opportunity uh, working with a smaller surface population to genetically modify, if you will, imbue a, a lot of their onerous characteristics in, into certain key bloodlines and thereby exert control in our, in our 
in a 3D physical sense here on the, on the surface and below the surface for that matter. And along with that, uh, this, this long-term genetic manipulation, they had imbued uh, patriarchy, they imbued uh, an alphabet symbol language uh, compared to the previous like purely symbol language which speaks to us at a soul level uh, by imposing an alphabet upon us and then which forces us into the left side of our brain uh, the logical side which then they can in, imbue all this dogma all these creeds all these laws all these dictates to us they would they, they created a a hybridized astronomer hood to uh, interpret said laws to enforce said laws and in the process they wiped out as many of the original mother goddess forms of worship on the planet and in so doing they wiped out a lot of the indigenous societies too so you know fast forward to where we're at now and and, and here we are I do believe as Alex Collier says that we are the product of, of a number of, of different ET and sometimes higher dimensional ET civilizations we're not just the hybrids of one or, or two ET races but of a number of ET races and, and all that genetic memory the institutional memory contained within the morphic field uh, and, and the DNA is still locked within us and over time some of these will begin to express themselves because of the increasing frequency of this of I think the whole plane, certainly the galaxy, not just the planet or the solar system, we will so, begin to reassemble more and more DNA strands and, and become more of our original intergalactic multidimensional selves. Now, what makes it of interest to a variety of beings is the DNA diversity as well as the what we would call the soul. And so a lot of these beings, are in, these negative beings, are into soul harvesting and, and into chipping away uh, soul fragments, and they're also into creating this this cycle of soul harvesting and soul recyclement, which we know is reincarnation, wherein our our conscious memories of our past lives, in many instances, are, are wiped clean from us. They also, I do believe, mess with our emotional bodies because where we're from originally, uh, we're, we're from a causal plane, many many uh, in in linear time terms, probably eons ago but it doesn't really apply because it's in a higher dimensional sense. We're from a causal plane where the only emotions we manifested were that of joy, abundance, nurturing, and love, and, and what have you. And once the reincarnational cycle, once we were plugged into the reincarnational cycle, our emotional bodies were messed with, and, and inputs such as you know rage and jealousy, resentment, spitefulness, uh, hopelessness, etc., was infused to us, and then we're plugged into the karmic cycle. Because where we were from, initially, the causal plane, you, you could not manifest such thoughts like rage and despair and hopelessness because he would manifest them instantly. So because where we came from was one of a place of, of, of manifestation, of, of joy, of, of abundance. So this process has, has, we find ourselves in this process of the soul recyclement. And I, and I do believe that we will dismantle this soul recyclement, soul harvesting uh, agenda, which some of the beings, in particular the mantis beings and the reptilians are, are key players behind this. But it happens in multiple dimensions and multiple levels, not just on this plane. 
and we do have help from what we would refer to as our extended ET higher dimensional star family because like I said at the outset some of us are boots on the ground and the our points of our various points of origin can vary uh, Arcturus the Pleiades Andromeda Sirius uh, the various systems in, in the Sirius system Orion whatever the case may be so a lot of these beings uh, uh, we're kind of caught in a cosmic tug of war at times what's happening here is an extension of, of cosmic wars that that were going on in the Orion constellation perhaps millions of years ago and it's you know, in Star Wars terms, we're way out in the outer rim. We're kind of in the boonies of the galaxy. We're, we're that far removed from the galactic core, the galactic center. But uh, so what we're seeing now play out is, is uh, I believe the the end game, if you will. And good times are ahead. I, I really do believe that a lot of these uh, higher dimensional, uh, spiritually evolved beings, because of this energetic shift. It's easier and safer for them to not only come here more often, but to hang out, if you will, uh, in a dimension or a plane just above ours, uh, where they're still safely removed from all the turbulence that may be going on in our plane. So in a nutshell, I, I believe that's what's going on, that there's this, so in, in this push and pull going on. In this whole scenery that you've described, uh, what have what role have you been asked to play? If uh, because since since you've been a contactee from the moment, I mean the the thing that you describe reminds me of, m of my father. When my father was a little kid around your age, he had that issue. He would go to bed to sleep, and he would see these little creatures with huge heads and huge eyes that would try to approach him, and they would he would describe that they made a, a purring sound like like cats when cats are purring. Mm. And he would call the, the grown-ups, the grown-ups would come in, turn on the light, and there was nothing there. So, he, for nights on end, he wouldn't let the people in the house sleep because he would see this. And then, you know, this is, you have to remember, this is 19, this is the early 1930s in country in, in Mendoza, Argentina. So, you know, out of, out of their wits, you know, the grown-ups don't know what else to do. They took him to some curandero or something who, who prayed, who, uh, who did prayers over him, and he ran a crucifix up and down his body. Whatever it was, it must have given him some kind of subconscious sense of security or something, and after that, he didn't have that experience anymore. <laughs> Since you've been contacted, you know, from the time of your childhood, there must have been some kind of purpose laid out for you, some role to play in this whole big picture. Can can you talk about that, or that's top? top yeah, I, I I could talk about some of it. I can talk about you know what I'm publicly able to talk about because you know there are things that I that I, I get up to that uh, are you know I consider to be need to know. Yeah, that's what I figured. That's kind of information, but 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 right. you know, at an outward from an outward perspective, I what I do is I I, I do give consultations for people that have had particularly what would be regarded as negative experiences, especially with reptilians and or the military. So I, I give them the, you know, my, my insight and provide them a, a conceptual framework with which to regard their experiences and, and, and practical advice. It doesn't work for everybody, it works for some, uh, where they could 
what they could do to um, reduce the frequency and intensity of these experiences and and shorten the, the time it takes to regain one's inner harmony and, and one's equilibrium. Uh, so that, that's what I do, basically. Is, is And then a lot of people over the years have contacted me uh, regarding their, their experiences. And so, you know, I, I help them through this process because a lot of them are just finding out uh, quite recently. We all have within us an internal alarm clock that's set to go off at a certain point. And for me, it was the early 1990s when I had that, when I came back from Germany in September 1990 and I had a series of, of full-blown alien encounter experiences. And, and so that really woke me up, shook me up for a while. But my, my curiosity eventually over, overrode the fear, right? Uh, and because I'm a student of military history and, I, and I've studied how black ops, intelligence, counterintelligence, etc. work, the transition from being that kind of independent historian to to studying the military and aerospace communities' relationship with ETs, that tra- transition was as easy as for me as, as rolling over in bed. It, w- it was a very simple transition for me to make because many of the, the players that were well-known World War II generals, admirals, scientists, etc., wound up being part of the secret UFO research back engineering projects. Uh, some of the very same people, world-famous generals, admirals, and scientists. And and having like a military background, if you will, also helped me in that regard from the standpoint of my past lives. I do believe that uh, in the so-called Bardo state in between uh, our lives and even before we begin the, the incarnational uh, uh, sequence uh, when we're still in a higher dimensional non-corporeal state, we basically map out our lives, uh, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, and we we place ourselves in situations where we could learn as much about our true nature and who we really are and put ourselves in, in situations where we could learn as much about the dynamics of a given civilization, empire, regime, whatever the case may be. In a lot of my past lives, I was a military commander or a high-ranking military person, strategist, and I was at or near the epicenter of some quite tyrannical regimes and empires. In fact, I helped expand some of those tyrannical regimes and empires in a number of different cultures. And those lifetimes themselves were extensions of my ET past lives when, you know, some would say I'm a slow learner in this regard or hopelessly caught up in the dualistic nature of this plane, no, but I, I choose no. to look at things a little differently. And so I chose these lives to help me in the eternal now, and here we are, fast forward to 2015, going on 2016, and and I do believe that an understanding, and, and not all my past lives were military sometimes, you know, I always mixed Mixed in a life with now, a shaman you, or a high priest or a medicine man or something. The question for so. you is, like, um, when you've had the, uh, the ET contacts that you've had, regardless of if it happened on the material plane or any other uh, plane, the contacts were, the nature of the contact was, like, informational, where they would share information for you, or were there contacts where you were actively being asked to do something, and if so, was your free will being respected where at any one time you could have said, no, I don't want to do that? 
Well, no, the beings, just... yeah, the beings that dis, uh, that disregarded my my personal sovereignty and my free will were overwhelmingly the, the more negatively energized beings, the reptilians, some of the gray factions working for the reptilians, the, the mantis beings, uh, you know, beings of that stripe were were the ones that overwhelmingly uh, had no regard for my my personal sovereignty and and my 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 own destiny, whereas the beings that I've interacted with and which I've since come to understand are, are part and parcel of my extended higher dimensional ET star family, uh, with them it's always been more uh, of, of an open kind of two-way thing. You know, within, within there are, are always going to be constraints, inhibitions uh, to our operational capabilities here in 3D physicality because we just... You know, for the most part, even people that are quite gifted, seers, mystics, and so forth, uh, there's only so much they can do uh, in, in 3D physical embodiment. But it's not uncommon for these higher dimensional spiritually evolved beings to access a higher uh, state being, if you will, uh, a version of ourselves that can comfortably reside and operate in a higher dimensional, higher frequency realm. And when we interact with these positive beings within that context, they don't see us as like a lowly human or even one of their hybrid offshoots. They see us as equals, essentially. Uh, we can interface with their technology. We can take part in the decision-making process up to a degree. Uh, they know that we have a tough job here. We have we volunteered to, to anchor a higher frequency and, and to plant seeds and to shift awareness and, and energy levels of, of the people around us, despite whatever is going on. And I do believe, like Nancy mentioned earlier, we cannot get all caught up in, in the hype and the fear-mongering because that will lower us, lower our frequencies, and make us more subject to this form of paraticism and predation. We, no matter what goes on around us, we must still maintain this inner harmony and this this uh, uh, this equilibrium and and maintain connection to source. So, yes, uh, in answer to your question, these higher dimensional uh, ET civilizations do interact with us, uh, but they interact with us really as as equals, and, and they, to a degree, uh, of course, we always we always have to go back. Right, we always have to wake up in bed, and here we go again, back to because the Truman Show, I have, so to speak. One of the things, uh, well, not one, several things that I have encountered, which actually coincide with, I don't know if you've ever had the time to read or listen to uh, Andrew Bartz's, the fellow that, that yes, presents himself as a historian, and he talks openly about, uh, like you said, you know, the incarnation process has been so subverted that it's also sabotage. You make these plans that you're going to be born in such a specific household and you're going to get it done if you're successful because they do, that's one of the specialties of this archontic grid, that they sabotage you and he openly says it. One of the reasons we're many times in a weakened state because we're not allowed to incarnate with members of our soul family because they know that if you... If you have two or more of your soul family together in the same family, you are so powerful, you're going to help others wake up way faster. So they, they purposely sabotage you so you don't incarnate among the people that you want. And two, yes. two of those cases 
are my own parents because I did my own shamanic journey to find out. And yes, I confirm the mother and the father that I chose are the people that I chose. But they themselves were not allowed to be born into the families that they needed to be born into. They got sabotaged. That's why they never, they could never fit in. They could never connect at any level yes. with the people that they were born into. That's how it works. Uh, they, they will even <laughs> go to the extent of, see, there are people that are part of our soul group, per se, right? But they have been infiltrated long ago, in, in, in many lifetimes ago, into our soul group as as basically disruptors, as destabilizers, to to come back lifetime after lifetime. Uh, uh, to be this gadfly, to be a source yeah. of, of uh, disruption, to knock us off our off course, to to subvert our destiny, if you will. And so that happens too, where in one's immediate family, some of they, they may be, they may have siblings that are complete narcissists, complete sociopaths, complete psychopaths, who instill their crazy making behavior and crazy making uh, uh, lunacy into us. And chip away at our self-worth, our self-esteem, uh, which in turn causes us to, to interact with bad association, make poor decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So that's basically how it's done. And, and what I've come to understand is sometimes people slip through the cracks and, you know, yeah. and wind up in, in a really good situation. They land on their feet, uh, uh, in their current incarnation. Uh, but often it's not. We have I'm, to I'm make other- do. The other thing I've encountered is, as you already are more than clear on the concept that for anything to affect you in this reality, there has to be an agreement between you and that phenomena or individuals or group of individuals. Yes. If there's no agreement, it can't even go near you. And yes. like Anelia Benz teaches people, besides conscious agreements, you also have, whether you like it or not, unconscious agreements. So sometimes you have to go digging and the unconscious to find out what agreement is letting this thing slip into my reality. And in my journeys, I have found that on top of those two, there's prenatal agreements. And uh, you you know JP. Uh, he was asking me to do a journey for him to find out something about someone that he knows. And it turns out that, yes, there was a prenatal agreement that he made for this person to be part of his of the group of people that he knows, right? But guess what? On purpose, he was never given all the data. So he agreed to something with only partial information. Yes. So I said, you got to go, you got to get your guys involved and you, you have to revoke this prenatal agreement, which you can't do it. For them, there's no time or space, so there's nothing stopping you from revoking it. So then this person would not have any impact in your life, even if they're physically in your presence. They cannot impact you the way they're doing now. So <laughs> that's that's a key point because so many times, especially not just in past incarnations in, in this timeline uh, on this planet, but also in, in other dimensions and in other states of being, we sometimes take on board these bogus soul agreements. Oftentimes, uh, based on on faulty information, based on an externally imposed ignorance or outright deception, yeah. where we we take on board and we make all these agreements, or you know, even as a victim, uh, you know, we're plugged into some weird ceremony uh, many lifetimes ago, and they attach all these energetic cords and and ethereal energetic implants, which can follow us. It stays in our morphic 
uh, blueprint resonance, <coughs> excuse me, if you will. And, and, and it, it follows us from lifetime to lifetime. And, we, and it seems that we attract certain characters into our life that, you know, we, there is, of course, going to be a degree of self-responsibility. But when we're constantly around people that are negative in nature, who, uh, who, who compel us to make poor decisions and, and, and compel us to, to, to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do, and sometimes just being in the energy field of these negative hosty people, some of them are full-on hosts for reptilian and Draco entities, uh, you know, a fugue state will set in, a uh, lack of volition, lack of will will set in, and you begin to do things and say things and believe things which you normally wouldn't do because you're stuck in this person's energy field, right? So, uh, you know, when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk more about this because it's a fascinating subject, and more and more people are taking the time to sever these bogus soul agreements, which is great. Excellent. Long ago, a young man sits and plays his waiting game. But things are not the same, it seems, as in such tender dreams. Slowly passing sailing ships and Sunday Like people on the moon I see Are things not meant to be Where did those golden rainbows end? Why is this song so sad? Dreaming the dreams I've dreamed, my friend Loving the love I love to love is just a word I've heard when things are being said. Stories my poor head has told me cannot stand the gold. And in between what might have been and what has come to pass, a misbegotten guess, alas, and bits of broken glass. Where do your golden rainbows end? Why is the song I sing so sad? Dreaming the dreams I've dreamed, my friend. Loving the love I love. Alrighty, and we are back. Okay, James, you back with us? Walt, you back? Everybody's back. Yes, I okay. am. <clears throat> Good. We're back. Do you guys remember where you were? I'm just sitting here enjoying the conversation, so it's yours, Walt. It's yours, James. <laughs> well, James says we were to continue discussing this whole subject of the agreements, and but like for example right right now can you speak of what is it that you're doing right now or that's also need to know basis well well as far as uh well what i have noticed is 
over time, you know, despite the fact that, you know, the, this kind of interference you mentioned has taken place and, and prevented people from meeting each other or being part of the same soul group, if you will, thanks to the Internet, we have connected with a lot of people that are part of our soul group, that are part of our extended ET star family or star families. And, it, it, you know, the Internet being what it is, World Wide Web, it's a form of expanded consciousness. And energetically, we, we kind of seek out someone who has a resonant vibe to us and who who talks about certain things that, that we can relate to, that we can uh, uh, connect to. And so that's been happening. Uh, over time, more and more people are, are connecting that, that really need to be connected at this time, uh, despite all the efforts of... of, of the people or the beings running, trying to run this control system. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention also is when we, when we map out our future incarnations, we know that sometimes we cannot come up with an ideal family situation. Say that we have uh, X number of choices of families to incarnate into, and we weigh up the pros and cons uh, in each family unit. They're not all going to be perfect, but however, even the imperfect ones will provide us the best possible uh, chance, the best opportunity to to get to where we want to go, so to speak, to 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 grow, to change, to learn, to to be in the right time and the right place uh, in or, in order to take what the work we're doing here to the next level. So I see that happening too. Unfortunately, a lot of people are born into really, really negative, abusive situations. My heart goes out to them. Uh, and even people that are born into those situations, at times, they, they, can, they can turn a negative into a positive. They can, they, can get, they can derive something good from it, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, certainly that was the case with me, where I was born into a situation where, you know, I, I have two loving parents and, and found myself in an interesting family dynamic, uh, sibling rivalry, uh, of course. But all things considered, this family that I was born into gave me the best opportunity. And so that's why I chose to incarnate into that particular family. And I'm sure it's the case with a lot of other people, too, where they, you know, they, they weighed up all these options, the pros and cons of different families to be born into, and they choose. They chose the one which gave them the best opportunity to grow, to change, to succeed. Yeah, because the purpose is not the purpose is not to experience perfection. Because on the physical plane, that it's more of a fanciful uh, concept than anything else. Uh, and this, what you're describing, uh, brings to mind something that. Uh, I'm sure you know of Simon Parks, who does the. Yes. The, he's on the OTB show once once a month every every Sunday. Uh, JP producing the show, and <clears throat> he fielded a question. Somebody asked a question uh, regarding Earth souls. That there are so many because Simon, when he does a session with someone, he will look at the person and scan them and say, "Yes, you are a." Pleiadian soul, or yes, you are a reptilian soul. So somebody had the question, well, are there any souls from Earth, you know, not from someplace else? And he made a very interesting dis distinction, is that 
because those souls from Earth that have never had the chance to be born anywhere else, basically they don't know any better. So they wholeheartedly believe in the sanctity of the government, and they don't believe the government was ever going to do anything to hurt them or lie to them. They're not stupid, they're just incredibly naive, because they've never had any other experience. But all those other souls from other planets who know what sovereign life feels like, they, they who know what freedom is like, they come to this place and they say, uh-oh, something's not right here. <laughs> yes. So that I would, I, I would agree with that. There, there, there are Earth, uh, Earth soul humans, uh, Earth humans. I, I would agree with that. And I was just having a discussion with this with, with, with a close friend of mine about this very subject, how how Earth humans, as opposed to galactic humans, let's say, they they could be well-meaning. They can be coming from a heart-centered place. They can be upstanding kind of uh, you know individuals, but at times there could be a, a certain naivete, a, a dangerous you know naivete at times about them because they're not aware of the nature of the control system. They they ascribe these noble uh, good traits to institutions, uh, <laughs> gov- government, corporations, etc., because that's where they're that's coming they from. They're, yes, all they know. You see, so and so they don't have this experience of of having come from other worlds and other dimensions where they they can come from a place of pure love, where uh, telepathy. An instantaneous thought transference being what it is, one cannot hope to deceive someone else because the nature of the communications, the nature of the the, the energetic frequencies and, and the ability to discern frequencies and discern energy and discern intent uh, is such that you, you can't lie or you can't deceive people when, or, or others in, in these higher planes and, and in these... More spiritually well, as, evolved. As soon as you lie, your aura will change colors, and they're there. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and with me, uh, and I've had a discussion about this before. It actually benefits some people if they're born into an an archontic infiltrated family, and, and they have to deal from childhood with narcissists and sociopaths and pathological liars. Because later, especially if they're involved in this kind of work. It's the vibe they pick up. It's not so much what somebody says that, that gives one pause for thought. Well, I'm not too sure about that. I'm not too sure about this person's motivations or his agenda, whatever the case may be. It's the vibe they give off. Uh, not so much the words or, 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 or the it's phrases. Like a it's a smell that you can't It's even a smell, smell. exactly. <laughs> like, like, for example, I always use the analogy of, of animals in the wild, uh, the ones that um, are preyed upon by other, other animals. When they detect something in the in the energetic field, they they don't think about it. They don't say, "Well, you know, am I being stalked? Is there a predator out there?" Uh, thinking is too slow. Uh, yeah, expanded yeah, awareness. It's just they just know. <laughs> they just know. They, and, and the moment they detect something not right in the energy field, they bolt. They're out of there. Uh, they don't stop and think about it. You know, sh- you know, are these vaccines safe? Will they be good for my child? You know what I mean? It's it's, they just know that there's something wrong. They're, they're, they're aware of the nature of the multiple threat environment they live in, these, these animals, right? Whereas humans, supposedly you know, evolved and intelligent and all that, they're, 
they're dangerously naive to, to the true nature of the multiple threat environment that they live in. And I would say that most of the people like that are these Earth-based humans because what we sometimes think of as, as Earth-based indigenous societies, the Native Americans, for example, the Aborigines in Australia, for example, they're anything but. In their lore, they say, the Aborigines say, we came from the Pleiades. The Native Americans say, we came from the Pleiades. We came from Sirius. They know they, they, were, they came here from elsewhere. And they know yeah. that they've been sent here to be caretakers. What differentiates what I consider to be negative ETs and their interactions and influence on, on civilizations, vice the, the, the benign, helpful influence of certain ET races, is the, the negative ET races, they taught the humans in their thrall to uh, practice animal husbandry. They taught them agriculture, which rapes the land, right? Compare that to the Native Americans or the Aborigines, in our example, uh, they believe in working in harmony with, with animals. They even have their shaman and, and, and medicine elders put out a message in the ether. Okay, who out there in the animal world wants to volunteer uh, you know, their flesh you know, to provide a sustenance, and then we will bless you and help you on your journey uh, to carry on your spiritual uh, your journey and your spiritual evolution? And often as not, it's like you know, the very same animals that show up in their visions are the same ones that they wind up finding and and um, you know uh, and killing and, and using for food. But but they honor the animal and they bless the animal, beginning, middle, and end of the process. It's not this horrific kind of factory farm thing which creates all yeah. these damaged um, what some people perceive as, as demonic entities. But really, they're just cows and pigs that have been so traumatized that. And, 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 and harm that they've created inadvertently all these thought forms of, of these, these domesticated animals that are all over the lower plains now uh, that people are sometimes perceiving as demons, but they're really just these, these animals that have been harmed. So the, 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 the races that were taught by the Palladians and, and by some of the spiritually evolved Syrian beings, for example, they were taught how to live in harmony with, with the environment and to be caretakers of the flora and fauna, vice what these other races have done, teaching agriculture, teaching animal husbandry, which is, you know, it's so wrong all across the board. So, uh, and that goes back to the, the earth-based humans who are, are naive about so many things here. And, and their naivete will also set the stage in many cases for them to wind up becoming empty vessels because they get caught up in, in the, the matrix, the simulation matrix. Uh, they start developing these OCD thought patterns because the system creates OCD thought patterns, uh, recurring imagery again and again in the multimedia, uh, recurring themes over and over again in, in the, uh, the lamestream news. So the, the person... It leads a very stress-filled life, and they they don't even really know why. They're just being assailed and bombarded and all, uh, from all sides by images of war, images of death, images of, 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 of lack of abundance and, and starvation and cruelty and whatnot. And so that opens them up for all kinds of entity attachment uh, to even more uh, malign influence because they begin to resonate at the frequency of bandwidth of these negative beings. And cycling back to what we were talking about, just let me finish this point before I forget. 
one of the things we have going for us is these negative parasitical entities. Their operational frequency bandwidth is getting narrower by the moment. And so what we have to do is keep working on ourselves, stay connected, plugged into source. We will gradually resonate and vibrate beyond their reach. And if these beings, these negative parasitical beings, don't want to make the necessary changes, they're going to find themselves in a very negative nether realm for a long, long time in, in linear time terms. But go ahead, Nancy. James, um, I don't believe in coincidence. And last night, as I was just trying to tidy up some things, uh, somebody turned me on to dark, uh, what, what's it called, um, Midnight in the Desert, which is Art Bell's program. But he's been, uh, his family's home was shot up pretty extensively, I guess. And so he's not on the air, but Heather, his producer, was was working the show. And I can't remember the name of the guest, but this guy started talking about shadow people. Yes, and, real, yes. Right, and when you were discussing the um, traumatic thought entities created by the killing, the, the awful killing of animals, uh, I made the connection to the um, to the shadow people. He tells a story, he told a story about a guy from Haiti whose mom was uh, a bit of a sorcerer and started mucking with this one particular character that was supposedly like to play. And he he's hearing a child. He's only a child himself, but he's hearing a child voice in the next room, and he goes out and he finds his mother naked, playing like a child, talking like a child. And right after that, he started getting visitations by um, a shadow people. So when he got old enough, he left Haiti and was in New York, and his mother died, and he was going through a tremendous amount of, of guilt and depression that he hadn't gone back to Haiti when the shadow people started up again with him. And the girlfriend that was um, with him at the conference where this guy whose name I don't remember um, was talking, the man, he says, the man was bigger than I am and I'm a pretty big guy, but he started crying. And the girlfriend told the story about how when she first got with him, she didn't believe any of this story that he was telling her. But one night he, she woke up and there was, she said it was blacker than black and that it was strangling him. Mm. And so she, she brought in Jesus, you know, called for Jesus. And as soon as she started to resonate that energy, the entity went underneath the bed. And then it proceeded and it kept saying, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play. And then it's underneath the bed and it's, it's kicking or forcing up the bed with such force that she said that he said that she said, that their knees were actually almost hitting them in the chin. There was that much energy. Oh, wow. One point, yeah, and at one point, she almost fell off the bed, and when she did, she felt this hand grab her neck. And, um, you know, so he would, he would, and it was, it was, good Lord, it started at midnight, and I, I, I bailed at quarter of three. I don't know how long the show went on. Um, but it was one of those situations where I'm going like, what are these shadow people? Do, and, and, like I say, I made the connection when you made that uh, remark about the thought forms created by the animals. You got anything to add to that or extend on? Yeah, I do believe that the shadow beings are real and they represent an order of being. You know, it's, it's, it's open to speculation. One can only, you know, make educated, intuitive guesses. It's possible that the shadow beings operate behind other beings like of a, you know, negatively energized variety like reptilians or draco or whatever the case may be 
and they do seem to come from uh, a, de- a dimension that is, is quite close to ours that uh, is kind of a lower density, lower vibrational place. They seem to thrive on instilling fear and, and, and thrive on the, the anxiety and, and the, the paranoia they instill upon others well, when, they, when it, they do these things. Yeah, this guy had done a lot of research into people that he's actually making a documentary, and he said that the people that seem to be um, coming forth and saying, I'm, I see these shadow people, are people that are of a depressed nature to begin with. And yes. that he believes yeah. that 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 depressed, emotionally distraught energy is what the shadow people are actually feeding on. And yes. he went on to say that he talked to one of the, I think it's only seven uh, exorcists that are, you know, blessed by the Catholic Church, and asked him about the shadow people, and the, and the uh, priest said, let me explain it to you this way. There is possession by demonic beings, but there is obsession by these shadow people. And um, so, but but what happens is you got a depressed person who then gets into the shadow thing, and he gets more depressed, and they and apparently they deplete energy quite efficiently. So you're yes. getting down physically. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry and, to interrupt you there, but oh, no, I, I, those are all very valid points. These, you see, I know people that have seen the shadow beings, but because they don't give into the fear. What these and sometimes other negative parasitical beings do is they just move on to like easier prey, someone that, that who can see them. And I do believe that some of these pharmaceuticals, we know that some of the illicit drugs, especially meth, uh, a user of meth, eventually will begin to resonate at a sympathetic frequency to reptilian beings, some of the negative grays and, and and even outright demonic beings, and this leads at times to full-on possession. They don't even have to have a shred, really, of, of, of reptilian DNA. Uh, just because the frequency of, of the meth resonates with the reptilians, for example, it let allows me, let me, let me jump, to take let them me up. Jump, let me jump in here again, because I just saw a program about the use of meth amphetamines by the um, German soldiers during World War II. Yeah, and, a, so. and you know, apparently they were given just massive amounts of it. And the British found uh, like a survivor kit, and in this kit was all these bottles of pills, and it was methamphetamine. And, and in fact, over in America, they also got involved in it, but they used meth and cocaine and something else. I don't even remember what the th- second, third thing is. So, I mean, what you're <laughs> what you're describing is World War Two with all of these soldiers that are. In in a in an energy form that is reptilian and freaky. I mean, it's like yes. oh my god. And, and also, you know, phar- pharmacy, pharmaceuticals. A lot of them now and have for some time. They literally lower the frequency of people, so they get they fall within that frequency bandwidth of these parasitic entities. And nowadays, they're they're prescribing Adderall. Uh, to children, basically. I mean, they were already giving children Ritalin, but that wasn't good enough. So when they, the children turned into preteens and young adolescents, they, pres- they, uh, prescribed them Adderall. And these are basically like, uh, another form of amphetamine. They're, it's a form of speed, right? And so that also opens these people up because what I've heard from a lot of people is once they began taking a certain pharmaceutical, whether it was a psychotropic drug or a, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, whatever the case may be, they began to see entities. They began to see reptilians walking up and down their, their hallways. They began to see uh, shadow beings. 
because they're starting to uh, resonate in that frequency bandwidth where they can not only see into uh, these these realms and, and, and see things that normally they wouldn't be able to see, but but the third eye has been activated, but in a lower energetic frequency sense, and these entities then begin to cling onto them and, and, and try to punch holes in their auric field and, and attach themselves to these people. And the OCD component is, is a key part of possession, and this goes back to the, the obsessing that the, the, ex, uh, the exorcist talked about, uh, how obsession is a key role, because the whole society, okay, for example, look at like the, the music industry, the radio stations. Uh, they're, all of the major radio stations are owned either by Murphy Broadcasting or Clearwater uh, Communications. And so on your dial, no matter what genre of music, country and western, easy listening, 80s, now that's a category nowadays, um, uh, classic rock, whatever, they play the same seven or eight songs over and over and over. It doesn't matter what genre it is. And so if you work in an office environment or any kind of work environment where they have the radio playing and then they, they keep playing the same old songs over and over and over, if you're caught like in a room where they happen to be playing a certain song again, even if you're only just passing through, that song can get stuck in your head for hours on end. That, that's, it's designed that way. And, and it's also like that throughout mass media and throughout the... the uh, uh, the entertainment world is is reinforcing uh, certain themes, reinforcing certain phrases over and over and over again. The, the what this does is it creates these, it embeds these neural pathways with these thought, these obsessive compulsive disorder thoughts. And these archontic beings, it behooves them to keep us in a lower vibratory ebb. So when we take on not just OCD thought loops, but OCD thought loops laden with negative emotions of hopelessness, despair, isolation, loneliness, etc., etc., that will lower our, vi- our vibrations big time. And, and you, you see this all the time. Uh, you see, like, scrupulosity is an extreme example of this, where uh, the person has got this religious OCD thing going on where they worry that any little thing they do is going to mean they're going to be cast in hell for the rest of eternity. That, that they're constantly, it's not just washing one's hands repetitively and checking lights and, and checking that the doors are closed and etc. That's a mild form of OCD. It, it's, it, it's the, the OCD thought loops, the, the emotional uh, component attached to it, and, and also the fear, the fear of doing something that'll make one a sinner, for example, in scrupulosity, so that God will hate them and they will have misfortune. So all those things come together, and then you add on the pharmaceuticals, you add on all this other stuff on top of that, because the psychiatric tyranny with their pharmaceuticals is, is part and parcel of this this control system. And so more and more, we need to get back to a more natural way of living where we don't need pharmaceuticals, that we, uh, you know, we just enjoy natural things and natural uh, modes of healing, et cetera, et cetera. Physically and mentally, we have to learn how to practice mental hygiene. And, and, and not allow these obsessive compulsive thoughts and uh, uh, recurring imagery because that's one of the ways these archontic beings operate is uh, depending on the, the DNA mix of an individual, say if someone has an overabundance of reptilian or Draco DNA, psychology always follows neurology, which always follows genetics. There are some who just try to 
write all this stuff off, all this supernatural, you know, ET stuff off as merely just being psychological disorders, right? And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, serial killers and, and child molesters, for example, have a different neurology than, than we do. They, they lack frontal uh, lobe capacity. They don't have the impulse control network that we do. And when combined with all these sadistic images that are just beamed into their heads over and over and over by these negative entities, and because they don't have the, the, the frontal lobe capacity to prevent them acting out on these images and these impulses, that's a perfect storm for, for the creation of a serial murder, uh, a lifetime abuser of women or children, or whatever the case may be. So that there's definitely a neurological genetic component to all this. Some people are more vulnerable to this type of manipulation than others. Walt, you got anything to add? Talk about? Well, I was uh, I was hearing him. I was uh, remembering what happened with uh, Gene's uh, client, the gentleman who is an ex uh, uh, Navy military. Uh, I remember the Gene, uh, or, or he requested I do a shamanic journey for him, and I describe what I witnessed, and it's. What I witnessed is that it seems that when he was in the military, he was he was involved in some kind of programming because that's what I witnessed. You know, he he was uh, injected a drug, and next thing I know, I'm seeing this sequence of images. Couldn't look away, couldn't close your eyes, and each image is followed by some kind of sound, and you could hear words. Like, uh, it, excuse me, but you were you it was like you were in his body, and I think you said yeah. you were on a ship. Yep, a destroyer. And you had gotten some kind of an injection, and the next thing you know, you were basically frozen meat. Yep, and I just had to witness this whole thing, and each image was followed by, the, by, the, by a type of sound. So some images were, like, painful, others were horrible, others were pleasant, and, and they would just go through a loop. And each And everything was, and you could see this voice droning in the background, but it just couldn't make out the words. Yeah, it's a form of entrainment where, where the uh, the programming cues, the co- programming phrases and triggers are embedded in, in, in these loops uh, again and again and again. Uh, it's it's a form of patterning, entrainment upon the person. And certain drugs, of course, will make them more susceptible to this, this form of mind control. And also tones are utilized, frequencies, lights. Uh, it runs the gamut. Uh, what was his What was his rate in the milita- in the navy? What did he do in the navy? Because uh, they profiled his DNA and they profiled his psychology as someone suitable for whatever they had in mind. I'm just wondering what his role was, what, what his job I, was. I don't know what his rank is, and, and even right. if I knew, I don't know the. Uh, from what he expressed, he doesn't reveal much about himself because he. I think he feels he might be still be, even though he's retired from the military, they might still be uh, monitoring him. Yes, and they can still access him if he hasn't uh, deprogrammed himself. They can still, after all these years. Yeah, th- uh, that was the interesting thing that, uh, you know, when you're witnessing this in a shamanic journey, it's like you're watching a movie and you're seeing, you know, s- the sequence of things is that uh, after that part, after he went unconscious, after that series of sound and images stopped, and he wakes up in his bunk in his cabin in the ship, he has absolutely no memory of what happened. All, all he remembers is that he was in the middle of the ocean somewhere, 
when he got called in to go to the ship bay for this procedure, whatever it was. And when he woke up, the ship was docked. They were at port. So that didn't jive in his mind. He, he had some recollection that how can we be at port? You know that when something doesn't feel correct, something doesn't feel right. Because he, he when he asked, uh, someone, another officer, he says, oh, you're, we're docked. And he was, wait, how can we be docked? Because somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew that they were nowhere near land when, when he, you know, before the procedure. So he experienced a loss of time as well. But he had no recollection of what he witnessed. Yeah, there must have been something about his genetic and or psychological profile that, that, uh, made the controllers there think that they, he could be a useful subject for whatever they have in mind. I've spoken to many people, uh, alien abductees, who during their stint in the military found themselves in, pulled into some kind of weird science mind control pro- project, sometimes involving ETs. Uh, well, you do know. Common. <laughs> for those in the audience that don't know, tell, tell the audience, uh, James, what the letters GI stand for government issue. <laughs> you are not a human being. Get it to your head. You are a thing and you can be used. <laughs> yes, and it seems that I've felt for a long time that the, the military, within the links of the military, it could be something as simple as a blood test that can determine if someone has alien encounters and, and can determine if they have an ET uh, DNA component uh, in their DNA profile because so many people I've spoken to that, that were abductees and or had, you know, even positive encounters. Once they got into the military, it's like they instantly glommed onto them. They knew, uh, right from the get go that these people have ET experiences and then they pull them into these, these mind control projects because they know that they have the ability to, uh, not just force them to dissociate through mind control means and create altered personalities, but they know that that these people have latent metaphysical powers. And the deep black elements of the military seem to be able to access and exploit some of these powers in in an operational sense. Now certainly the ETs can do this too, of, of both polarities, positive and negative. They you know, when we're in an ET environment uh, we can read, some of us can read alien script, we can interface with ET technology, uh, we're, we're more telepathic, uh, we can walk through solid objects, so on and so forth. And some of this happens in a higher dimensional state of being as well. So it seems, and the military has always strived to duplicate or even exceed the known capabilities of the various ET races. So they see these MyLabs as an operational asset that they can utilize to advance their agenda, which is often a negative ET agenda, I might add. So, yeah, I'm just sorry that, you know, this person had to go through that. I mean, he, he deserved a lot better, and I hope well, look, that he's... Did you he's happen to look brain. at the, the link that I sent you regarding a radio show that we did concerning this uh, situation? Yes, yes, I, I listened to part of that, not the whole thing, though. It was very interesting. Okay, now did you see the image that was, if you scroll down, there was an image, a drawing? Yes, a drawing? The, the, the thing that was utilized to input false memories. Yes, I, I saw that. It was very interesting. Yeah, um, because we think that, well, what happened was that 
we were led to essentially go back into time to the time the the point at which they developed the very beginning of this uh technology and at that point they had a sub program etherically put into the 3D program that would be um turned on when anybody saw the image that we drew that Walt drew during a shamanic journey so if you know any of the people that you have interfaced with that is actually under mind control um see if they if they if this doesn't work for them we you know i mean we can only we can only do these things and then have to you know wait for people to actually experience it yeah so i'll pass that around and i'll ask people to, to give me their impressions on it and, and we'll see what comes up and I'll, I'll let you know what i find out yeah, I'd be real interested because it should just unlock their their memories. Um, and what what we what I was told at the time that we did it was that it was set to um, basically unlock thought patterns that did not create emotions initially. So you know, all of a sudden you're you're thinking of a store and you're going like, I don't ever remember seeing a store that looks like that, or something that does not you know create the emotion because they wanted to have it as a controlled uh memory thing instead of all of a sudden realizing you got a family somewhere that you you don't even remember yes so, this is a, a lot of selective uh amnesia amnesia uh, externally imposed amnesia going on uh, i've known people that served stints in the military and were alien abductees they they can't account for months some of these people or, or large parts of the day they can remember going to the office but the office happens to be in a military base and they can remember going home and being at home but they don't remember what they did there so there's a lot of that going on and you're right a lot of this programming is done in a in an ethereal and and even an interdimensional sense it's not just done in in the uh, uh in the 3d realm and also, also the nature of this linear time we know that it's it's a bogus construct that uh, a skilled practitioner, a shaman like Walter, and it sounds like the kind of work that you do, one can go back beyond, even beyond time, but also in a past time in a linear sense, and see information, change things, change things for the better. Uh, a lot of people these days are getting into holographic kinetics, which, which delves into these issues of removing all these connections and these cords and these bogus soul agreements uh, in, in a multidimensional, timeless sense. And that's what's so absolutely intriguing about what we're going through is that there is virtually little that you have said that Walt and I have not already covered as far as the overall perception of what, what we're seeing. We're all seeing the same thing. Um, it's, it's, you know, different ways of having gotten to this point, but at this point, I can't tell you how many, I mean, I go like, Geez, they sound like me and Walt. Gee, they sound like me and Walt. And it's like, when Walt and I started out, we didn't sound like anybody else. But then other people came up and they were saying the same thing. It's like all of a sudden we're all seeing it so clearly and it's the same picture. Yes, yes. I'm noticing that too. It's part of this, this soul group kind of reunion in a way where there, there was people that decided to incarnate here in the eternal now in this point in time and space that, that had an innate understanding of this. I, I bet that, sure, you went through a like a remembering phase, but a lot of this knowledge was innate anyway. It's just something that you inherently knew. It was 
you're not going to find this in books. You're not going to, you know, it's nothing that you could find in a college course. It's just something that's within that you had to tap into. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's how it was for me. And then also the way uh, uh, divine source works, I, I was guided to others who helped me get a better picture and get a better understanding of, of all this. And, and so that's how this institutional knowledge base grows by just, you know, putting into practice, uh, you know, working uh, in within the timelines. Because one of the things that they've done, and I'm sure you've come across this, is some of these parasitic service-to-self type entities, and increasingly the military or deep black elements of the military, they're messing around with time. They're they're changing. Uh, they're creating these alternate realities. They're there are certain key nodal points in the, our aboriginal, if you will, timeline uh, that if one can go back and fix things, it, it, it may have a beneficial effect where we're at now. But they've, they've complicated the problem by creating all these alternate timelines, by doing things. Like, for example, I've come across a number of people who remember a seminal event in their life, and a seminal event or a series of events which... Many other people should remember, but for whatever reason, no one else seems to remember some of the things that the individual in our example remember. And then I've since come across something called the Berenstein Bears problem, right? And and some of your listeners may be familiar with this. Yeah, I watched that one. Isn't that great? Yeah, yes, it is. But see, I know people that were into that, and and they told me, yes, it was the Berenstein Bears, but People have done the research. They've gone to the Library of whoa, Congress. Whoa, whoa. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Give us a little background, please. Okay, the, the Berenstein Bears are these humanoid bears, and it's like a like a children's book. And I think it became a cartoon, but it was it was, it was really a book. It was an animated uh, full color book that showed this bear family, right? Called the Berenstein S T I N Bears, you know, doing things that bear families do. Well, over time, the name of the the, um, the books changed to the Berenstain Bears, S-T-A-I-N, right? And when some people try to investigate this, wait a minute, I remember them as being the Berenstain Bears. And then they checked all the available sources, and they were confounded because they couldn't find any references to the Berenstein Bears. Some people even went to the trouble of going to the Library of Congress and looking up the original patents and copyrights. And as far back as they go, it was always the Berenstein Bears. But that conflicts with their not only their own memory, but the memories of countless other people. (laughs) What about the Star Wars one? Well, everybody remembers, and I remember it, I, I saw the film more than once, when... In the in the fight in the Empire Strikes Back, where Luke and Darth Vader are dueling, and Darth Vader cuts off Luke's hand that's holding the lifesaver. Yeah. And Luke holding on to that to that piece of equipment for dear life because there's this huge abyss beneath them. And when Luke screams, "You killed my father!" and Darth Vader goes, "Luke, I am your father." Yes. That's the way everyone remembers. If you rent the movie now, that's not what it says. <laughs> really? They've changed it. It says, I oh, am that, your father, Luke. I am your father, comma, Luke. 
on people. Yeah, yeah, that's, on the not, that, that's not the way I remember it. It was the first way you described. You see, that's an example. Like, for yeah. example, I, I saw The Who in the 1982 tour, which was billed as the farewell tour, and now they're taking the hit in the stage, and these guys are pushing 70 years old. They never did go away, but we all thought they were going to go away. And so when I went to see him on, on two shows, October 23rd, 1982, and October 25th, 1982, the first show was at the outdoor Oakland Stadium, and I brought a piece of paper and a pen with me because I intended to write down all their songs for posterity purposes, so I could you know look back and say, yes, they, this was their whole set list, right? Well, the, 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 the third song they played in both the indoor and the outdoor show was a song called It's Your Turn, which was on the It's Hard album, which is the tour they were, the album they were supporting on the 1982 so-called farewell tour. I distinctly remember they played It's Your Turn on both shows. Now, when I go onto YouTube and I, and I type in that date for, for that concert, uh, they have a whole set list and they have uh, supposedly the whole concert, and that song is not on either the indoor or the outdoor show. And then when I listen to the, the audio of the in, what was supposed to be the indoor show, October 25th, 1982, that doesn't even sound like the show I was at because we were all suckered into thinking they were never going to come back, so we screamed our heads off. We gave them a standing ovation from the beginning of the set to the end of the night. We yelled ourselves hoarse. But when you listen to the, the audio alleged to have come from the Oakland indoor show, October 25th, 1982, you can hear people talking. Uh, during uh, in between the songs, and that's not what I remember. Everyone was screaming and yelling because we thought we'd never see them again. So not only were the two songs missing, and I've since read in some of the comments in YouTube and in fan sites that the Who never played that song in the whole tour. See, but that's not possible because <laughs> I remember I remember them playing that song. I wrote it down, right? So that's an example of a of a in a personal sense of how it seems that my timeline and presumably others had been altered. But but when you get a chance, Nancy, just look up the, the Berenstein Bears uh, problem on YouTube or on the Internet. It, it, it'll blow your mind because uh, there have been a number of people who've talked about this manipulation of time and how it's, it's changed things around well, personally and on a larger the scale. Movie, uh, interview with a vampire with, a, with, with Tom Cruise. Yes. Everybody remembers the movie. Everybody remembers the book. It's Interview with a Vampire. Yes. Well, if you go rent the movie, it's Interview with the Vampire, which makes yes. no sense. <laughs> yes. 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 There's a lot of that going on. And so we actually we actually had a discussion um, about how dead people turn up alive. Because oh yeah. You know, there there were um, I was with, with on Starfire Tours uh, website where she tells you if there's going to be a timeline change, and I'd been following it for I don't know about well over a year by then, and somebody wrote in and said, um, "Can dead people show up alive if you change the timeline?" Because my husband and I both remember Ernest Borgnine dying 20 years ago, and supposedly he had just died, and we all started talking, and there was like. Yeah, I remember that too. You mean he just died again? I, I and, thought he died too. That that's interesting. Okay, now the other one, <laughs> the other one that most people remember is Michael Douglas um talking about the death of his dad, Kirk, who was and he, and Michael was outside of the uh the funeral, uh, the the graveyard. 
and he's being interviewed, and I saw that thing three times. Well, Kurt is still alive. Yes. Uh, there, yes. There's, 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 there's episode after episode of people going like, I thought they died. Well, they may yes, have died on the on another timeline. Yes, this just happened recently. I'm trying to remember who it was where I was con- absolutely convinced the person was dead. And then suddenly they pop up again, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought this guy died. You know what I mean? So I've yep. gone through that as well. Yep. And, and you know, you, you add in other fudge factors like cloning and stuff like that, which is real. But but I do believe the the timeline has been messed with so many times that it's created these alternate realities. And because we're essentially multi-dimensional beings that in our normal state we operate beyond time anyway, people like us tend to notice these things. You see. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you pay attention, especially when I was following Starfire, because she was giving you a heads up. She she has a incredibly d- intricate, as far as I know, because I can't quite follow it, but um, with the sun. And if the sun's doing something, she knows there's going to be a shift. And sometimes it's minor, but she will give you a heads up. So now you're you're when like the, one of the one of the clearest ones was um I got three diff- three more additional slabs of concrete for the walkway coming into the house and it's th- they're in the middle of the driveway why the hell would I have laid them there and as soon as I saw it I said this is ridiculous this this is some weird timeline thing and everybody that knew this house said where did these things come from you know, yes. so if if you're yes. if you're aware of the details, you can pick up on details. Um, yes. You know, glitches. Uh, it's more and more glitches in the matrix. It uh, seems to be. Yes. Yeah. yeah, a color of a room that you go, that wasn't that color. You know, but you you pass it off, and and if you're not paying attention, um, it'll get by you. But if you pay attention, you're going to see a lot of these things. Something happened just recently, and I went, oh dang, another timeline. You know. Yeah. Well. As Alex Collier says, we're going to be going into a phase where there's going to be a whole other level of weirdness going on. And, and I, I agree with that. I, I already see it all around, just the stuff that we've been talking about, that as time goes on, we're going to be better equipped to deal with these, these changes. We're going to be better equipped to, to make a smoother transition and make the necessary mental and physical and spiritual adjustments. Other people, unfortunately, those, especially those of the more Earth-based human variety, uh, some of them, if they're not really grounded, they're going to start going crazy. And we're already starting to see that. People that were borderline hosts or, or for an entity or had some kind of entity attachment issues, uh, suddenly they just boil over and they go nuts and start behaving radically and in, in, in like in bizarre fashion and being a threat to them, their spouses, themselves, and their children. Whereas before they were relatively kind of normal people, suddenly they just go, go nuts basically and, and so we're seeing well, a lot you, of that too uh, I'm sure you must have seen this by now um, if you get a chance to see that in person that kind of individual in person the first thing you'll notice is the eyes are different yes. it's not the same entity inside that body yes yes because the energetic shift was such that some people were left more vulnerable and more open to any entity attachment and or outright possession so more and more people are being replaced, essentially. They're being taken over by these, these parasitic negative entities. That's happening a lot. Well, one of the things that guy last night was saying regarding the shadow people was that, um, unfortunately, most people that get obsessed by the shadow people end up committing suicide. 
Yes, yes. Because there's there's no help for them. There's no way to get them out of this continual cycle of depression, shadow people, depression, shadow people. And um, it's likely that these these obsessive beings are causing people to just leave their bodies, at which point, you know, they can jump in and do whatever. Yes. And um, then use use the body to, to, you know, meet out whatever mayhem or that, that they have in mind, because now they have something that they can work through, right? Yes, but the thing that I think we have to, and I'm getting a download here, the thing we have to kind of, like, realize is that these are, if you've got somebody who, like Walt says, you can physically look at them and you're going, my God, I do not know this person. They look like the person I know, but they don't feel like it. Something in their eyes. If you go, if you're in that state, remember that is not the person anymore. This yes. is either a, a dark force thought form, a demonic being, whatever. But you are a human being with a tense amount of energy. And at that point, instead of trying to deal with them as a human being, you deal with them as a negative entity that has to, by the laws of the regulations and rules of this particular time and place, they have to listen to you and yes. demand that they leave. You know, stand up in your own power is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Absolutely. And realize that don't hold back because you don't want to embarrass yourself or you don't want to embarrass this person. That person isn't there anymore. Yes, absolutely. And another thing that people have to remember, and this goes back to practicing mental hygiene and then also dealing with these various parasitic entities when they take people up as hosts, is the lag between the the query, the question that we put out to the multiverse and the answer coming back or the lag time between a desire, a thought, and then the manifestation appearing to us is getting shorter and shorter because of this increasing frequency uh, that we find ourselves in. And, and, and more and more of our molecules and atoms are spinning at a higher and higher rate. So we're beginning to manifest faster and faster. So it's incumbent upon us even more to not be saddled with these OCD negative thought loops because now more than ever, one's going to bring in all kinds of chaos and negativity and misfortune into their lives simply because they don't practice mental hygiene, simply because they, they put themselves in scenarios and situations, uh, listening to the same songs over and over and over, getting around the same people who endlessly repeat themselves over and over and over. That's going to radically affect our, our, our frequency and our resonance. And shunt us into a lower frequency bandwidth, which will make it easier for these negative entities to, to start to manifest all around us in, in, in myriad ways, because uh, this simulation matrix is starting to become unstable, uh, and, and they're in panic mode, so they're going to take every opportunity to to kind of just lash out and, and try to reel us back in, because they see that we're, but you know what, we're James? starting to get beyond their reach. You know what, James? At the beginning of the show, you, you spoke about this, you know, the stuff that they're doing, all the, and you used a very important keyword. You said the word stunts. Yes. You know, they're pulling all the stunts. What's a stunt? Something that's not exactly real. And you use that in it's the movie. It's a distraction. It's a big a distraction. distraction. But you know what, James? I have to, to all these people that are financing and carrying out these stunts, I have to say, thank you for being yourself and thank you for not changing your yes. psychopathy and your psychosis yes. because for the first time in centuries you guys are taking off the masks and we can see you for what you are 
Yes. It doesn't behoove me that you change and pretend to be nice because you might convince me that you're nice when in reality the seed of your evil is still there. So thank you for being yourself. Thank you for being stable and crazy all the time so that we know what to look for every time. What do you think? Exactly. It's how they are, <laughs> they're normalizing the sexualization of children. They're, they're normalizing all this stuff which is completely abnormal from, from the, the, the most kind of sane standpoint, right? As far as the oppression and everything else is concerned, they, they, they normalize all that. Children being arrested in school for chewing gum and being, you know, set upon by, by psychopathic reptilian hybrid cops who have no reason to be in the schools. They're just there. So that, that's an example of, of this, you know, these acts of desperation that, that they're perpetrating in order to maintain this rapidly crumbling matrix of theirs. So, but they're not going to succeed. Uh, no, and we're gonna we're gonna help them along. Yes, as we, yes, have we tonight, will. As we, will. we have tonight, we've only got one minute left. James, I have so enjoyed this. I so appreciate what you bring to the table. And um, if you would, we would like to have you back again. I'd, I'd uh, love to. It'd be an honor. Thank you. Okay, and uh, we do put up a, a, a on CosmicReality.net. We put up a, a show, you know, information regarding any of the shows as long as along with the archive. So I will make sure that you're. Website is up, and any contact information we can give them is up, and the archive will be up. And um, Walt, I, again, I thank you. You can be found at newparadigmtools.com or .net, but also there are links on cosmicreality.net. We never got to talk about Shungite, James, and I know that you started <laughs> to experience it, but you'll have that much more time to play with it to yes. find out, you know, what it's all about. Colleen can be found at haggyshack.com. Um, and that's H-A-G-G-I-E uh, Shack.com and what's up next you're going to be reading I think isn't that true Colleen? Yes Haggy Reads for You will be doing part 9 of the Zephyrus Archives Mission of Eternity Okie dokie Followed by the Dilly Dallying with Dolly or, or Dilly Dallying in Dolly World <laughs> That's a repeat. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I thank everybody that was here for the show. We so appreciate you. I thank all the people that will hear the archives. Um, I just want you to realize that not only Haggy Shack, but Wolf Spirit Radio, they are on shoestring budgets. The donations you give is just to keep us up on air. And um, anything else you'd like to say, James Walt? Oh, I'm just going to thank the audience for being with us, and I hope they enjoyed the show. And yeah, thank, I just thanks like for say, being a guest. Same thing. I'd like to thank everyone, and if anyone's interested in the consult to talk about their alien abduction, reptilian military experiences, please contact me. You can you can find my email through my my website. So thank you, one and all. Thank you for having me on here. I'd love to come back sometime. And Nancy, Nancy says that you're not in California. Oh, no, I'm in a previously undisclosed location uh-huh. at the moment. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but, yeah, I was for many years I was in California. I was in Arizona also. So, yeah, I'm just kind of, uh, I've got my own little corner of cyberspace, let's put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, I'm really delighted to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, God is plus well, all. But why, okay? why Walt brought that up? If you do a search on him and you see California, it, that's, that is James. Yeah, um, that's me. That's yeah, me. That, that's James. So, um, again, good night, everybody. Be safe. And uh, you got the outro, do you, Colleen? 
or is Colleen on the telephone? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Outro now. Okay. Thank you, sweetie. Love you guys. Be safe. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.